This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Why don't you turn your, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> and then we're going to start reading from verse 30. And we're just going to kind of wade in and see where we go. Then the angel, basically, Mary's, she's just this young, innocent girl. And she finds herself in this place where suddenly she has a divine visitation. And an angel appears to her. And the angel begins to speak to her. And the angel says, Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord of God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I think that what we've been speaking about over the last couple of weeks is the fact that God is reintroducing something new and God is taking us back to authentically what his original design was. And I think he's cutting away stuff that's superfluous and stuff that's unnecessary. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've really been doing a deconstruction work, sitting and having a look at some of the things that we've bought into and things that have given definition to who we are and things that have designed our, our Christianity. And what we've been doing is exercising the invitation to rip out some pages some things that were really not core to who he is and really wasn't fundamental to what our Christianity was all about. It doesn't mean necessarily that it's wrong, but it just means that, you know, we've lost track a little bit of some stuff. And I think that God is bringing us back to the authentic, back to the original. The story is special because the story speaks about one of the, the, the key aspect of what God is looking for with us. Relationship. It's about introduction. It's about introduction. Why does God use some people? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, think about it. Israel was there. God could have used anyone in Israel. Why does he choose Mary? What was it about her that made her stand out? Look at different people in the Bible. Why did God choose them? Have you ever wondered about that? I've wondered about that. I look at the body of Christ today. There are a lot of people who love God, and yet there are some people who are able to demonstrate not only the love of God, but the power of God in ways that other people don't. But God's not a respecter of persons. 
I don't know that we always have the full understanding of those things. And so what I can present to you are some ideas and some things that I think. And take it for what you believe. And if you don't think it's right, it's okay. But I think there's an important phrase that the angel uses. Because he says to Mary, you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. Why did she find favor? I think something that distinguishes people who find favor from people who don't is something that's quite important. And I think it gets down to a heart disposition. It's not that God doesn't love everybody. We know God loves everybody. It's got nothing to do with God's love for everybody. God's grace is available for everybody. We know that. We understand that. But certain people are walking into dimensions of their Christianity and, and aspects of relationship with him that are deeper than others. And I think that that's a place for me that I want to go. I want to discover what separates them. What is it that sets them apart? What is it where they find themselves in a place where you find favor with God and as a result of that, something happens? I'm not talking about a works program. I'm not trying talking about earning anything from God. We don't earn anything from God. That's what grace is all about. I'm talking about a heart disposition that recognizes value and importance, significance in who he is and what he's all about, and says, you know what? No matter what, I'm prepared to leave everything behind because I want that. It's a hunger. And I think in that place of hunger, what ends up happening is it brings us to a place where we begin to dissect who we are. And we actually get to a place where we begin to recognize healthy boundaries between myself and God. What I mean by that is not a point of separation. I'm talking about a point of recognizing who he is and who I am. It's a funny thing, but the more you begin to recognize who God is, the more you recognize my limitations in my humanity. And it brings me to a heart disposition where Sitson says, you know what? I can't do those things that you're inviting me into because it's beyond my capacity as a human being. It's a place of humility. But it's a good place to be because God never invites us to do what we're capable of doing. God invites us to play on his field. And when God invites us to play on his field, he's inviting us to, invi- to, to play on that which is eternal. That which is much larger in scope than, than where we are. And I'm not even talking about things that are huge and miraculous. I'm not talking about things that are profoundly supernatural. Although they are all of those things. I'm talking about sometimes things that are so material to who I am, but not necessarily visible to the world. Try and change a heart that's turned upside down and that's living in a place of turbulence. A place that says, I can't get your peace because I know you're inviting me into that, but I can't reach it without you because I'm recognizing my limitations. A heart that's looking for God to show up in a place and that's looking for blessing, but recognizes that I can't step into that blessing without him because it's beyond the boundaries of my capacity and my ability. A place that sits and says, I'm looking for my healing and I've been everywhere and I've tried everything and I've taken every medication and I've done everything that the doctors have advised and I've been to every specialist and I can't go beyond where I am right now. And he says, but I'm inviting you into health. And I recognize in that place the fact that without him doing something, 
It never happens. You find favor with God. Why do we find favor with God in that place? Because he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And it's in your weakness that my power is perfected. When we come to that place where we sit and say, I have to have something of you because I'm not able to materially produce that in and of myself. I get to the place where I begin to recognize and give definition to what life is. I begin to see life and I begin to see not life as some nebulous term that sits up there, but that life is living and vital. And life is something that has character to it. Life is about health. Life is about fullness. Life is about healing. Life is about prosperity. Life is about blessing. Life has characteristics to it. And what he's saying is, do you want to partake of me? What is God doing in that space? It was so important Because I think some of the principles of what was taking place in this simple story are profoundly relevant to our lives. There is a simplicity to it, but they're powerful. If I can grab a hold of the way that that God works and I can partner with him, I'll find myself in a place where things will begin to change in my life. Not because of what I did, but because of what he imparts. He didn't come to Mary and say, I want you to do something for me. He came to Mary and he said, I'm going to impart of myself to you. That is key number one. It's key number one. When I get to the place of finding favor, I've left behind the fact that God's looking for me to do anything. I've left behind me the fact that I have something to offer that he can use. And I'm surrendering myself to a place where I'm sitting saying, I need an impartation from you so that it can take a life on the inside of me. I need something of him that I do not have in and of myself. That fundamentally is what Christianity is all about. It's partaking of the life. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. You are called to be the light of the world. The light of the world is the person who's able to come to that place where I'm able to partake of his nature. I'm partaking of life and light and love. And as that impartation and that life is deposited on the inside of me and as it grows on the inside of me it takes on a life of its own and what ends up happening is his light inside of me makes me the light of the world it changes me not because I'm trying to change but because I'm living from a different place when he gives you something of himself it will change who you are because it costs you If you want his peace, it's going to cost you your angst. If you want his joy, it's going to cost you your depression. It 
comes at a price. But it's a good exchange. You're not asking him to change something of you. You're asking him, as Rafa said, to take something of me which is born of the nature of sin and death. Something that is stealing, killing, and destroying in my life. And I recognize that I cannot change that stuff, but I need to come to the place where he takes that and I surrender it and he imparts something of him. And when he imparts something of him, I conceive. It's not of me. It's of him. I've got his life on the inside of me. When you have his life on the inside of you, you will change. Why? Because the thing about it is, the things of God are spiritual. They're not natural. You're straddling two dimensions. And there is no gateway between one dimension and the next. Except Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want an invitation, and if you want to step into the things of the supernatural, if you want to step into the things of God, we only do it through Christ. We only do it through Him. We need an impartation. I need something from Him that He can take, something of His life and what He's all about, and impart that to me. The life He gives us And the life he offers to Mary was not something that she got because she deserved it. It's not something she got because she earned it. What was given to her in the life that she received was gifted to her. Gifting from God is an expression of grace. We don't earn things from God. The reason that he takes of who he is and that he offers it to us is because of his love for us. Because he loves you so very much, he offers us the opportunity to participate in who he is and to enjoy that. He begins to do something and change something on the inside of who I am. We don't always recognize God's plan because I think very often we are caught in our circumstances and we're caught in our situations. And in our situations, we see what's happening in real time, in context. And so when he's speaking to Mary, what he's saying to Mary is, you're going to conceive and you're going to have the life, my life, conceived on the inside of you. And it is going to grow on the inside of you. What he was doing on the inside of her was designed to to have serious impact and implications, was designed to have influence outside of her. What was being birthed of God on the inside of her would be a seed that would grow. And as it began to grow on the inside of her, what she would end up doing is giving birth to Jesus. Jesus was the one who would take the Father, and evidence him to the world. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What God's going to birth on the inside of you, every time he takes a part of who he is and he invests it in who you are, any time he takes part of his nature and he puts it in who you are, what he's sitting saying is, I'm investing in the future. Because when he puts it in you and that life begins to grow on the inside of who we are and we move to a place where we live from that disposition, what ends up happening is I begin to show and reflect him 
to the world. And they begin to see him for who he is. You used to be that person. And you used to be like that. And you used to speak like that. And you used to behave like that. And you had attitudes like that. But things have started to change. And things have started to morph. And all of a sudden newness is moving in. And I'm moving into a new disposition. Because all of a sudden God is beginning to evidence his nature inside of me. I'm getting rid of some junk. I'm throwing some stuff out of the trunk. Because I'm replacing it with some stuff of him. And as I'm replacing it of him, I'm changing. And I'm reflecting that to the world. Mary conceived the life of God in her womb, in her flesh. But God's ultimate intention was to inhabit your being. She was a precursor of things to come. When you have a look at Mary, Mary took the things of God and she received inside of herself the seed of life. And it began to grow in human form within her. Christ. The same principle applies for us. Because when God takes of his life and he implants it inside of us, what he's wanting to do is he's wanting it to become our very being. It's not inhibited or limited to one aspect of who we are. We become the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when we become the temple of the Holy Ghost, as a born-again believer, what ends up happening is the life of God comes and dwells inside of my spirit. The fullness of who he is is on the inside of me. And what he's saying to us is, and the invitation that he extends to us is this. Get your mind, get your heart made new. How do I get my heart made new? You spent your heart in your thinking and your, your, your emotional lives feasting on the world and allowing those inputs to define who you are. What I want you to do is I want you to come to the place where you move into relationship with the life of God that's inside of you. Sometimes this is where we end up in an interesting place. You see, to be successful in life, you have to understand life. To be successful in the world, you have to understand your job. You have to understand the education. You have to understand the principles. You have to understand the rules. But in God's economy, your understanding is not important. Relationship is important. You see, the thing about it is, if you're moving into dimensions of who God is all about, faith, joy, goodness, you're moving into dimensions that transcend understanding. They are dimensions that are not produced from your ability to think about that stuff. What it means is those things are birthed when I come to relationship with him and I spend time with him. It's not my understanding, God, but out of relationship what ends up happening is he's going to make some impartations to my life. He's going to put some parts of who he is into me, which is going to change me. I have to do this service in two sessions. So that's the good thing about Christmas being in the middle of the week because we do one part and then we'll have Christmas and then we'll finish it off. 
In working with God and what God's wanting to do, our ability to understand him is not nearly as important as our relationship with him. There are things we get out of relationship with God, and I'm going to speak about those in more detail and more depth a little bit later. The thing is, we want to understand God. God wants to impart his life to us. We think because I understand who God is and I have an understanding of where he comes from and I understand the principles of God that I have a good context for God. And God's really not interested in our context. God's interested in whether I have his life inside of me. The thing about it is this. You can run away from context. You can run away and find your ideology and your theology and your doctrine quite cold, but you will never leave the person. The challenge with lots of Christians is that we've got great doctrine and it's solid doctrine. The problem is that we're so caught in the word, we've never allowed the word to introduce us to the person. And unless you've met the person, you're still on the journey. I don't... Please understand this. This is not designed as criticism. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to redirect and give some focus because it becomes really important. The problem with it is Jesus says, you search the scriptures and those are, those are them which testify of me. And yet you are not prepared to come to me that you may have life. What is he saying? You've got great doctrine. You've got great thinking. It's just that who I am is not being birthed in who you are. The reason that our Christianity is cold and unexciting is because I'm living in the world of thought and I'm not living in the world of relationship. Mary's sitting there. She's a young girl. And the angel appears to her and the angel begins to speak to her. And the angel says to her, you will conceive and you will find yourself pregnant. And the life that's going to grow up on the inside of you is going to result in you giving birth to a son. And you are to call his name Jesus Those couple of sentences are so deep and so profound. And I'll tell you why. We like the Christmas story and we read it really fast. And good for you, Mary. And that was a great thing. And the angel came in and the angel did some stuff. And that was really nice. And then Jesus was born and we had the manger. And then we had all the wise men who came in. You're a young, unmarried girl. And I walked into the room and said, oh, by the way, you know what? You're going to find yourself expecting. You would look at me and you would say, okay. It holds no credibility. We forget the fact that there was a miracle that took place. That young girl was at a place where she was told she was going to conceive life on the inside of her. And she would find herself with child. The angel tells her something. Why has it got such credibility? Because at the end of the angel speaking to her, she says to him, I hear everything that you're saying. I get what you're saying. So be it unto me according to your word. Why? Well, what I would propose to you is this. What the angel had to offer her was something that established and 
gifted something to her. What God gifted to her was faith. What he promised to her was a son. Faith comes by hearing. He didn't gift a son. She didn't open her eyes and Jesus was there. He spoke to her and he said, this is my design. This is my intention. This is what I'm going to do. And all of a sudden in that interaction between the two of them, there was something that took place on the inside of her. There was a divine confidence that was established. Where did that come from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why relationship with God is so important. Because I don't get a word from God if I don't have relationship. Read the word. The word is full of people who got a word from God. The scripture is full of people who got a word from God. You will conceive a child. I got it. It did something inside of me. It implanted something, a spiritual and a divine confidence that Mary could grab hold of and she could hold on to. It wasn't because anybody else said it. It was because I got it from him. We're going to the other side. Get in the boat. Why do I know we're going to the other side? Because he said so. I'll make you a father of many nations. What did Abraham have to hold on to? Over all of those years when he was supposed to be a father of many nations and nothing happened, he gave me a word. He gave me a word. It wasn't the word. The word is the mechanism. It's what it implanted in their life. It implanted something of him, which was a confidence, a divine confidence, a divine expectation that said, it doesn't matter if I don't understand the situation and circumstance. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one and only, the one who is the victor over everything has told me what's going to happen. And I'm holding on to that. That is what he wants to birth in your life. But it comes from relationship. You don't get it from reading the word. If you just read the Bible, it'll tell me about God. It'll feed my knowledge. It'll feed my understanding. What's birthed on the inside of me carries weight and influence because of two things. Number one, the authority from where it came. When God speaks, it carries weight. If Jesus arrived in the flesh today and he walked up to you and he said, you know what? Tomorrow, this is going to happen. You would have the confidence it was going to happen. Why? Because it didn't come from man. It came from him. I know it's going to happen because it came from him. Only he can take of who he is and impart that to us. And the confidence that I receive is a divine confidence. It isn't something that came from any other man. He gives me that divine confidence. It is something imparted that's of him. And he says, take this, use it, hold on to it. Because it'll see you through circumstances that you may not understand and you may not be able to comprehend. But it doesn't matter because he said it and you'll come out the other side. I don't know what the other side's going to look like. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because every good and every perfect gift comes from above. And when your life is in his hands, and when you're sitting in that place, it doesn't matter what the other side is going to look like. It will be good. It will be good. The source 
has to carry authority. If the source doesn't carry authority, it's very difficult for that to be, have meaningful confidence. It's not just about the authority, though. The authority is one thing. It's about the will. I know God can do anything. I know God can heal. I know he can deliver. I know he can set free. I know he can provide. I know he can do anything. Will he do it for me? The only way that I know it's gonna, he's going to do it for me is when I meet with him and he says to me, I'm going to do this for you. When you meet with him, I want you to know God is alive. He's living, he's dynamic, and he's vital. And he's on the inside of you. And he's looking for us to be able to move to a place where we desire and we do everything on our part to sit and say, Father, I want to know you. Reveal yourself to me. In that space is intimacy of relationship where communication takes place. And what I hear from him becomes important because it establishes on the inside of me something called divine confidence. It was divine confidence and Mary holding on to divine confidence that moved her place, moved her to a place where the Holy Spirit came upon her. And when the Holy Spirit came upon her, all of a sudden she found, I've conceived, I've got life. What took her to that place was divine confidence. I've got to have God speaking into my life. I need it. I can't live without that. Without him being alive and vital to me, I'm living religion. I'm living religion. What's interesting about this whole exercise and what's going on is that we have a representation in here from the Trinity. We have God the Father who came up with the idea and what he wanted to do. He sends the angel Gabriel who speaks to Mary and speaks to her about the fact that she's going to conceive and she's going to give birth to a son called Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was there and he assumed responsibility for making sure that the word came to pass. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's difficult for us to actually grasp the nature of how they kind of work together because they're kind of separate, but they're different. And, the, and everybody's got their analogies. And so I want to give you a metaphor. Say, it's a metaphor, it's Gavin's. This isn't scriptural. I'm not giving you scripture in verse. I'm trying to paint a picture in your mind of how I believe the Trinity works. And I believe, this is, this is helpful for me. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Spirit, soul, and body. The three are one, and the one are three. You can't separate them. The Father is the Spirit. The Father is the very nature of everything. He is love. He is light. He is love at life. That's who the Father is. Jesus is the heart. He conceives the things of the Father. And what he does is he takes those things and he speaks them into being. If you look at creation, God the Father never created. Jesus did. Jesus spoke. What did he do? He conceived in his heart what the Father was wanting to do. And he took the heart and he spoke it into existence. And when he spoke it into existence, the hands came into motion. And the hands were like, let's take this and let's make it. I have a design. I know what's alive in the heart. Let's take that and make it the way it's supposed to be. 
I believe that that's the way that we are to work. We are to work from heart and hands as born-again people. I'm not saying that the Father's not important. The Father's behind everything. What I'm trying to explain is this. When Jesus was born, he was the heart of the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everywhere that Jesus went, he, moved, he went into the synagogue and people were amazed at his understanding and his knowledge of the word. They were amazed at the heart. But he never did miracles. He came up from having been baptized and the hands came upon him. And when the hands came upon him, all of a sudden, the word that was made flesh became Christ, the anointed ones. Hands and heart anointed, made flesh, working in synergy. And from that moment on, what ended up happening is you find that not only did Jesus share the heart of the Father, but the hands made things happen. What characterized his ministry from that point onwards and what characterized things was the fact that the miraculous took place. He was able to evidence to the world, I'm not only talking to you about who the Father is, I'm not only revealing him to you in concept, but I want you to experience him. Experience healing. Experience deliverance. Experience blessing. Experience freedom. He wants to take us and move us to a place where it becomes an experiential relationship. heart and hands. He says to his disciples after they've been born again, go and don't testify of me. Don't tell anybody about me. I don't want you to testify of who I am. I don't want you to testify of what I've done. I don't want you to testify of what I stand for. I don't want you to testify of my death or my resurrection or my life. I don't want you to testify of anything. I want you to go to the upper room and wait there until that which the Father has promised has come upon you. What was he saying? He was saying, you've got my heart. I understand that you got the heart of who I am because they were born again. But you don't have the hands. And he said, you can't testify of me unless you have the heart and the hands. Go and wait in that space. What kept them waiting for 10 days? Praying the word. Go and wait in that space until that which the Father has promised has come upon you. It imparted something on the inside of them where if Jesus said it, I know it's going to come to pass. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't even know what it's going to look like. He just told me that the promise is coming. And they sat in that space for 10 days praying because he said so. And if he said so, I know it's coming to pass. They're waiting in the expectation. My heart was engaged. I was looking for hands. I'm looking for hands. And it says that the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were baptized. The point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not tongues. Tongues is the evidence. Power is the purpose. 
We mess that all up. We tell people, come and get baptized in the Holy Spirit so you can speak in tongues. Wrong! Come and get baptized in the Holy Spirit so you can have power. And you will have the evidence of speaking in other tongues. There is something that happens in that space. That is divine. There is a spiritual impartation that takes place. That says, I know you have heart. But now I'm going to give you hands. I'm going to give you hands. The call to us is to understand that Christ lives within me. To understand that he is alive and he's looking for opportunities to have regular, intimate relationship with us. To be able to hear from us, but for us to wait on him and for us to hear from him. Because what he tells you will establish your heart. And what's established in your heart will leave you at a place where you sit and say, Father, I can't wait for the revelation, for the manifestation of that because I know that it's coming because it's something that he's put on the inside of me. I don't get that without a word from him. Some people don't believe in the, Holy, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to each his own. What I will tell you is this. If the disciples needed it and Jesus needed it, I'm pretty sure most people do. When I read that when I read the biographies of great people of God, what strikes me as being so profound is that they recognized the fact that they had heart but I didn't have the hands. And something happened in that space that changed. And it was noticeable to each one of them. And they left that space and they said, my life was changed. There were certain things that was not about understanding. It was not about gaining recognition. It was not about gaining a a, a knowledge of what God is all about. There was something that happened that was imparted to them that was so deep that they left with a sense of knowing. I want to read to you Catherine Coleman's encounter. In that moment, with tears streaming down my face, looking up and bowing to the Lord, he and I made each other promises. There are some things you don't talk about. It's like some things that are so personal between a husband and a wife. You just don't discuss them out in public. And in that moment, when I yielded to him, body, soul, and spirit, when I gave him everything there was of me, I knew then, beloved, what the scripture means, if any man will follow me, 
let him take up his cross. The cross is always the sign, the symbol of death. That afternoon, Catherine Kuhlman died. If you've never had that death to the flesh, you don't know what I'm talking about. When you're completely filled with the Holy Spirit, when you have had that experience, as they had in the upper room, there will be a crucifying of the flesh. There will be a death to the flesh, believe me. There are lots of professing Christians, professing to have been filled with the Holy Spirit, who've never died to the flesh. All he needs is somebody who will die. And when I died, he came in. I was baptized. I was filled with the Spirit. And I spoke in an unknown tongue as he took every part of me. In that moment, I surrendered to him. And all there was of me, everything, everything. Then, for the first time, I realized what it meant to have power. Christmas is such a wonderful season of celebration. It's such a wonderful season of invitation. And yet in that space, I believe that there's an opportunity for us to be cognizant of what we're really dealing with. The creator of the universe living inside me inviting me into something new and something more profound than I've ever known. He's looking for a temple. A temple that'll say, take me, I surrender all. Because I want to go somewhere with you. Can we all stand? Holy Spirit, we just worship you and we just thank you for who you are. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, for hands they ignite the heart. I thank you, Father, for people who are hungry for you. People who are looking to go somewhere in some place with you to recognize there's more to life than just living the way that I'm living, but there is a greater purpose and design to things. I want to walk into a dimension that I've never been in. I want to walk into a spiritual space that I've never been in. I want to realize the fullness of who you are. I want to live from heart and hands, from heart and power. Father, I just pray a blessing over every single family that's represented here. 
I thank you for what you're doing in people's lives. I thank you for who you are, for what you're imparting. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus, I want to thank you that it opened up opportunities for us that were never available before. We praise you, Jesus, for taking on flesh and for coming and living amongst us. For revealing the Father to us. Not so that we could understand him, but so that we could encounter him. If you're out there and you're a person who's looking to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you're wanting to take your relationship with God to a different place, you have to have the hands. And I would encourage you to come forward. People can pray for you. And there'll be an impartation that takes place. Not of human flesh, but something spiritual. But it'll introduce you to power change your life everybody else I just want to thank you Father for a great Christmas for everyone I want to thank you for joy I want to thank you for fullness I want to thank you for blessing I want to thank you for family and richness I want to thank you for your provision I want to thank you for who you are and what you mean to us I want to thank you that at this time in our lives At this time of the year, we can celebrate who you are and we bless you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.